Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon with the call. 60 minutes as we look at 10 stocks that you've suggested we put it to an expert panel. And uh, great to have Maitan Somersandara from Deep Data Analytics on the panel today. Maitan, good to see you. And, yeah. and also uh, Ben Clark from uh, TMS. Uh, ben, always good to see you. Uh, Nathan's got a bit of a G on from one of his colleagues <laughs> there. Um, at least... Unlike some Zoom crosses that have gone uh, viral, Nathan, um, your colleague there wasn't in the nude, which was good. <laughs> it's always good. <laughs> um, all right, I've been um, kicking off. And, and Ben, I actually love these Zoom calls because uh, what people have in the background often is a reflection of their, uh, their personality. And you're, you're a bit of a green thumb, are you? Or a bossadist? Oh, I've got to admit, Koshi, we're actually in a, um, a rented place. We've been up here since before the lockdown. So um, right. um, I'm out of the second bedroom. Two kids are going on their Google classrooms in the other bedroom at the oh, moment. Oh, okay. So, yeah, this, this isn't mine, but it, right. it is nice. It's, yeah, I thought it added nice. a little bit of a feel. So we're, we're a welcome respite for you away from homeschooling. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I hope you don't get any incursions during the um, program. I also didn't bring a shirt with me when I went away. So I'm sorry, I'm looking a bit casual. Yeah, no, no, we can all understand. It's sort of lockdown work from home um, attire generally. Um, hey, guys, uh, for the last two weeks, we've been uh, setting a bit of a challenge to our panel of choosing one stock that they would choose that would change their life. It's um, a bit of a theme we've been looking at and some, some really interesting discussions. Uh, ben, what's a stock that you think could change an investor's life over the next sort of five or, or 10 years? Yep, okay, so I'll, I'll preface this by saying, 
for a stock to properly change your life, you probably got to take on quite a bit of risk um, because, you know, even the best quality companies probably aren't going to change your life over the next five years. It's something that you got, there's some downside, but there's a lot of upside. So I've gone with a business called Paradigm Biotech. Um, Biotechs are companies we normally avoid like the plague. So um, it's, it's quite an unusual one for me, but in the spirit of, um, changing lives. This is one I think that could do it. Um, that the people behind it are first class. Um, Paul Rennie's the founder and still the largest shareholder, ex-CSL, and has brought in recent, um, particularly in the last year, a number of quite high-profile CSL um, employees across to him. They've gone through phase one and phase two trials for a, a, a repurposed drug that they have called Zilsol, um, which potentially could solve what has been an unsolvable but enormous issue across the globe, which is osteoarthritis and chronic osteoarthritis. Um, yep. You know, just in America, I think it's estimated that around 80 million Americans suffer from this quite debilitating um, disease. And um, Paradigm are at a, a what is a time to get interested, I think, in biotechs where they're about to kick off their um, the last um, trial, the stage three trial, they're fully funded through that trial. Um, and, um, you know, you've got some very high quality people involved, but um, I don't know if I'm going on too long here, but no, no. The, the, the interesting part um, for me also is that typically if you come out with a blockbuster drug, you get 10 years where you get the exclusive global rights or country rights to sell that drug. Um, and then it moves to a generic. Right. Now, the, uh, the big difference that this company also has, if this drug is successful, and that's the big if, right? This, yep. this clinical trial could be a failure and the business would be very, worth very little if it were to be. Um, but if it does succeed, and, and the evidence in the first two trials has been overwhelming that it, that it does provide a lot of um, comfort, um, they've locked in the supplier of the of the product, and the FDA has actually said that the the base of this drug will not be allowed to be generic um, because of various medical sort of reasons. So it it significantly extends the lifetime of exclusivity, um, and they're also finding there's a lot of other. They've got two or three other trials. That, you know, this this drug has been around since the 60s. It's been used to treat other conditions. So we know it's safe, which is one of the things that can go wrong in these trials. It's well tolerated. It's just does it, will it be proved in a much broader uh, population size to um, ease the um, pain around osteoarthritis? Okay. And if it does, this, um, this company will be worth multiples upon multiples of um, where it's currently trading. Fantastic. All right, a, a great little company there. Um, and Nathan, you actually kicked off this series with uh, with Gorab, so you've got a, you've come up with a second one. I love your work. Yeah, I've taken the a complete opposite spectrum. Um, on the first one, I went for IGO, which we've been a fan of for a number of years, um, and it's had a, a pretty good run, uh, if I could say so myself. Uh, but I thought I'll go to the other side, uh, like Ben, and pick something that's probably on the high risk end, uh, and it's probably going to have a tough couple of years before it proves itself. But I think you've got to look at what it could be rather than what it is now. 
Uh, and that's what I'm looking at, blue chip, BCT. I've been looking at this stock for a number of years and a good part of 10 years for that matter. Um, but the whole concept behind it is it's about uh, transportation of health science and life science samples, um, the ability of their chip to track uh, where it is, what temperature it's stored, um, and the whole history of it. And so the beauty of it is you can see how much logistics that are growing uh, and you just put this chip in with it and it kind of controls or well, basically documents where it is, what temperature it's been through, uh, through time and keep track of all of that. I just don't think it's just that sector. I think I've been looking at this as this business evolves. I just think the overall blue sky of where this industry that could be in the transport logistics, where this could play into, I think it's massive. Now, of course, this is still in the early stage. It's still trying to do yep. deals. It's trying to get revenue. Um, it is, you know, proving the thematic. Uh, that'll take time. So I'm still uh, on the books looking at it. And I think this is one to keep your uh, keep it on your watch list. When this does start to get traction, get a few more contracts, get that next stage up, that's when you want to jump on. I think there, you know, every time the market gets excited, and it's happened a couple of times in the last decade, the stock runs five, six, ten times. Um, so the reality is there is a large scale upside to it, but of course it, these things take time. Just like biotechs, as Ben was saying, I'll follow biotechs, usually takes a decade to prove what they are. Yep. So this has been around for a long time. It's in the right areas. I think the thematic works well. If you think about what's happening with the pandemic, I think the transport logistics uh, with things that are linked to temperature, whether it's food, health, um, all of these things will be connected at some point. So there's a lot of things that it can play into. So I think it could be one of those things that over time could become a massive play. Hmm. Okay. All right. Great suggestion there. So paradigm, paradigm and blue chip. Thank you for doing the work into that and thinking about it, both of you. And our first stock from our viewers to take a look at today is Macquarie Telecom, the, uh, the big data centre uh, company. Uh, share price, uh, Mathan took off a bit yesterday as well after they lodged a state significant development application for a new data centre out at Macquarie Park called uh, IC3 Super West, which um, they're going to start construction of. It's got all sorts of cyber security protections in it. But uh, what do you think of Macquarie Telecom? Uh, look, it's one of the best quality businesses out there. Um, you know, they, they tend to be, you know, they're not really worried about what the market thinks. Uh, they tend to be, um, you know, slow, grinding through, doing new things, driving growth. They're in multiple areas in the tele telecommunication data center play. They look at the whole integrated offering. Um, management is well loved. Uh, look, there's nothing wrong with the stock. It's just it always trades at a premium and it trade. It's it's not a high liquid stock. So you're not going to get that index play like you do in most uh, you know larger cap plays. But look, it's it's one of those ones where it's always hard to get into and the only time it pops up is because it does something good and it moves up. And unfortunately, it always looks expensive because everyone knows it's good. So yep. it's just hard to get into. It's one of those ones I always say, you keep on your watch list. If there's a market pullback and people want to take profit and these things come back, you buy this stock. It's a management you can trust. Um, it is illiquid, but I think it's worth the risk. It's a high quality business. Right, so it's ha had the pop. You'd wait for a pullback, would you? Yeah, look, I wait for one of the, this is one of those you put on the list. When the market has a decent pullback and everyone throws everything out, you buy this one. Right, okay. Ben, what do you think of Macquarie Telecom? Yeah, I'd 
pretty much echo most of those comments, Koshi. Uh, this is a I'm, this is one that I've missed. I've got to say, and it's extreme, and it's got a lot of the attributes that we look for: founder-led business, investing for multiple years out, um, a really good track record of growing earnings. Um, you know, they've grown. Um, They've grown EBITDA at 16.8% CAGR for the last three years. The EBITDA margin's 25%. Net cash on the balance sheet. The business is more profitable than it looks. They're pumping a lot of the revenue straight back. You know, this announcement yesterday is a great example, building out future growth um, at the expense of current profits. So it's expensive, um, no doubt about it. It's probably not as expensive as it looks, but it's still, ex <laughs> it's still expensive. And, you know, I, I'm a hold. I do think the, the, this big pop that we've seen in the share price the last couple of days, it's a little bit irrational. You know, they, they, that, you know, they, it's great that they're, you know, building out this thing, but they did just reaffirm earnings guidance. So for the business to be worth, you know, 30 odd percent more um, on the back of it, I think it's a bit of a, um, a bit of a stretch, but um, reluctant to put sales on businesses where you'll look back in a few more years and think, it was a great one just to stick with, even if it does have a bit of a correction from here. Okay. All right. So uh, good company. Uh, hold and uh, and you'll wait for a pullback um, on that. Uh, Ollie wants a view, um, uh, Ben, <coughs> on uh, NetLinks. It's a, a cloud-based solutions uh, business. Um, it's just gone through a raise um, over the last couple of months to expand um, into China. Um, sort of at the other end of the scale. This is sort of the minnow yeah. end, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a minnow. And I'd, I'd say there's a lot of red flags to me when looking, you know, I, I hadn't really looked at this business before and I'm not an expert. I will start this by saying on the, the technology that they say they have. And I think that's really where you've got to do your work with these little businesses is you really need to understand the product offering, why it's different, who they're going up against, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, when I just look at some of the other things around it, it's been pinged by the ASX several times for irregularities, a, a string of capital raisings um, and highly dilutionary capital raisings over recent years, two in the last financial year. It's got a terrible capital structure, um, directors coming and going, um, there is revenue there, but it's pretty murky and the, the business doesn't really give much transparency around it. So for me, it's a sell. Right. Okay. Um, that is a really key element of any stock you look at, isn't it, Ben? It is that, you know, do they deliver? How often they go to the market? Uh, yeah. many executive changes. You've got to have confidence yeah. in all those things, particularly in a small cap, don't you? Absolutely. It, it, completely. It's all about the people. People are changing regularly um, that, you know, that the shareholding's a bit murky. Like there's some big Chinese shareholders and it's operating in a market which is very opaque. And it's always a warning sign to me when you look at a company's, you know, investor presentation and 10 of the 12 slides are on, you know, the total addressable market and, you know, how exciting the industry they're in and that sort of thing. And there's only one or two that's really on what's going on with the specific company and the and the revenues that it's generating and where it's coming from. It's kind of like selling the sizzle and, you know, just so many little businesses, um, you just see this string of raisings, which makes sure that directors and executives are paid. But 
um, you know, little comes out of it for shareholders. So, yeah. you know, I think particularly in micro caps, you've got to be good at not just getting too fixated on us, you know, the the actual, um, you know, technology or biotech. You've got to look at red flags. You've got to. There's always common occurrences in things that don't go well and things that do go well. Yeah, uh, Nathan, what do you think of links? Yeah, it's got all the bingo words, um, and it's one of those hot stocks that played out in the tech space for a number of years. Now, it's, it popped up in our radar a while ago um, when we looked at the micro caps. Uh, again, uh, Ben's right. Uh, these these kind of stocks, when they don't do, you got to remember the last couple of years have been phenomenally positive for tech stocks. So if you're not doing well in the last year, you've got problems. Yeah. Uh, so you either not seeing the problems or they're selling you a story that's not getting executed. Either way, that's not good. So again, um, I want to see execution. I want to see numbers pop up. I want to see things getting delivered. And you can look through the history. They haven't over the last couple of years and they've got problems. So in that context, they've raised money and Ben's right. Um, as long as they sell you a story, there'll be someone trying to pick the turn in beaten up tech micro caps uh, and they get paid. And they, as long as they, and I've followed a lot of tech stocks, a lot of biotech stocks, they've hung around for decades getting other people's money to pay their salaries. So this is where you've got to buy the guys who are executing and have got products and actually can execute and tell you what it is. So that's been the problem here. Um, so I'm not chasing this one. This is one of those ones where whenever people start to say bingo words and going into markets that everyone wants to get into, it just gives me red flags. So. Um, this is one where I'm happy to wait, see how they execute. If they do, then I'll have a look at it again. At this point in the cycle, I don't have a lot of trust. Yeah, it's interesting. We had this discussion yesterday uh, with the panel on strike resources, um, a small resources stock, but um, its executive team uh, that's just joined recently over the last year or so um, has a great track record from a couple of the big boys um, and both uh, both Henry Jennings and Andrew Whelan said it was a speculative buy purely on the reputation of the executives who, who joined it because yeah. they would only join a company that had good prospects to keep enhancing their reputation. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really good lesson for, for investors. Um, another one sort of similar, uh, Matham, but in the, in the mining area is Toro Energy. Um, which has just gone through a raise to uh, help continue a uranium project that it's got, and also a golden, a couple of golden base metal pro projects. Um, Toro Energy. Yeah, look, I mean, if you haven't raised money in the last couple of months uh, and you need money, there's uh, there's something wrong. The brokers haven't called you yet. Um, so Toro is actually you're looking at uranium. This is the big play. Um, Again, they, you got the market that's split between people who believe in uranium and the people who don't. Um, I think the people who believe in uranium see this as a really good play. Uh, there's some um, interesting players who are in, holding shares in this one. I actually don't mind. It just comes down to your view on, do you believe in uranium playing out? I just find it just too hard on the data to work out how the sector plays out. And it's, it's one of those ones where it's patchy. And so if I can't measure it, I struggle to play in that sector. And uranium is, it has been, and I just struggle to play in that. But look, if you like uranium, you're positive on the uranium outlook. 
this is one of the better ones that uh, the market is willing to buy into. So I actually think that's sort of where it comes down to. If you're positive uranium, I think the management's okay. I think the bigger players like it. So I think it's in the right place. If you like uranium, this one's not a bad buy. Okay, but you don't like uranium. Yeah, I, I tend to look at elastic markets where I can see the things move and then I can adjust to it. And uranium market is not that yet. Right, okay. Um, ben? Yeah, I, this is another one that I haven't really come across before, but I, I'm going to go a sell on it as well. Um, um, you just said there, Koshi, they'd done a um, big raising, which is right. But when you look at the um, the outcome of that raising, it was really to extinguish debt. Um, so, um, you know, although I think about $45 million or something was raised, which is substantial, um, something like that, um, most of it's just gone to paying back debt holders. Again, like a really bad capital structure. These little companies shouldn't have any debt. You, you know, that's what always trips companies up when they, even even some of the better ones, when things go wrong. Um, so most of that cash that they raised actually isn't going to what you want it to go to, which is exploration for this business. Um, it's a, uh, some of it will, but not, not a lot of it. Um, so to me, like, you know, when, you, when I had a quick flick through, they were sort of talking up a, um, a, a very small drilling program they were going to do on a nickel, um, a nickel deposit. Uh, you know, it's going to lead a, need a lot more money if that ever does get into production. Um, the uranium, it does look like they, they, they are sitting on some sort of uranium resource. But I, I, I just think, you know, you look at Paladin, which is the biggest uranium um, stock on our market, they've got... An incredible mine, the Langer mine, but that is still on care and maintenance at the moment, and it has been for I think it's nearly a, a decade. Nathan might be able to tell us. Um, the uranium price is still nowhere near close enough for even the you know sort of an A-grade resource to be warranting production at the moment. So, I just think you're going to see these proceeds um, go into some drilling, and you know I guess what you're really hoping is that they hit the mother load, but. As we all know, it, it, it's very rare. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. Thank you for that, Stuart, for uh, suggesting that stock for um, a look. Stuart says, should I cut my losses and invest elsewhere? Um, so Ben's saying yes. Nathan's nodding his head um, as well and agreeing, unless you love the uranium space. But uh, yeah. on the overall scheme of things, probably not. Um, ben, Carissa wants a view on clean space. Carissa says they've not done well since the IPO, but appear to have been a profitable business long before listing in the pre-COVID respiratory market. They, they make respiratory machines and uh, attachments. They've got some good financial indicators, despite not meeting expectations, according to Carissa. They've got several patents and ex-ResMed engineers are on board developing the products. Do the panel think that this could be an undervalued stock with the ability to improve based on the successful pre-COVID position? Okay, so this is an interesting one. Um, this is probably one of the worst floats you, you're likely to come across. I think it came on at like $7 and it's about $1.50 10 months later. So it's been a bit of a disaster. These guys design and manufacture respiratory protection equipment. So it's like headwear and all this sort of things that frontline healthcare workers can wear to protect themselves. Um, they've had two big downgrades in the last 10 months since they floated. Um, and really, if you look a bit back, further back, th this float was, this company was floated 
on what was probably one of the biggest sugar hits to their earnings. So that their their first half revenue was forty million dollars. Now that was five hundred percent higher than their first half revenue one year prior. So they had effectively this massive COVID um, pull forward of demand for their product, which allowed them to get onto the market at an extraordinary valuation. And since then, we've seen two quite significant profit upgrades. And if you look at their last quarterly update, they only did seven million dollars in sales. Now that's um, you know so that's fourteen million if you if you times that by two, versus the forty million they did the half on the PCP. So to me, like actually going back to what Nathan was saying about tech stocks, and I mean if these guys aren't doing well now, I don't know when they ever will. You know we're in a global pandemic. Um, everyone's trying to protect hospital workers at the moment, and to have had two significant downgrades in that environment does not bode well to me. So I'm, I'm going to sell on this one as well, Koshi. All right, okay. Nathan? Yeah, it's not an answer, is it? Um, look, uh, uh, one of the classic statistics is if you downgrade in the first six months of an IPO, or if you're underperforming uh, as an IPO after nine months, you sell and walk away. Um, and, you know, this is a classic scenario in that, uh, and it's proven the case again. Um, and, you know, Ben's right. I mean, this is going to be tough. Uh, and the macro was as good as they get. Um, and going forward, can they execute? Maybe. But do you know? No. If they're going to struggle, they're probably going to raise more money and you get diluted down. And this could go on. And one of the, uh, the other classic data play is when you're in a downgrade cycle, don't try and pick the bottom. Don't ever try and pick the bottom because the statistics are just against you. You wait for the first upgrade because you think this was worth $7 on the IPO, let the damn thing run 10, 20% and then chase it. Uh, so wait for the first upgrade. So I'm more than happy to wait for the first upgrade when it's fallen this far because on the first upgrade, I know that at least the execution is starting to turn around. Till then, you're just trying to guess and it could be underperforming for two, three years or if not longer. So again, you're only picking 10 to 15 stocks. And when you're trying to pick a turnaround in a beaten up IPO, just, just the numbers are against you. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, great advice. Uh, our next stock is uh, Mathan, pretty typical one, at the, um, topical one at the moment, Boral, the big building materials uh, group uh, here. And in the United States, uh, seven group holdings have had a takeover offer ongoing. I think they breached the 50% thres threshold yesterday, so extending that accumulation. Um, what do you think of Boral? And if you're a Boral shareholder, should you take the seven group um, um, offer? Yeah, well, they're so such a big part of what you're you're holding. <laughs> There's not much of a choice. They're going to sit there and have some control over the management anyway. Um, so once they've gone this far, um, it's an inevitable problem. No one else is going to bid. Um, and if management thinks that they're going to get control to divest the asset, then they're trying to divest it ahead of them. So it's not like you're going to get a huge upside. I think you got a certain level of protection, uh, but if you're a holder. Look, I, I just think the market is an interesting place where there are interesting op, op opportunities and there is very limited upside from here for Boral. They're not going to bid when they're holding this much. So in that context, I think it just hangs around here. So I'd take the money and go somewhere else. 
Um, but look, if you are looking at it as a new option, it's just not worth it. So I'm not looking at it right. to invest. If you're a holder, I'd probably take the money and look at other options in the market. Okay, because I remember we talked about Boral uh, would have been 12 months ago, Maitan. You and Gaurav absolutely slammed it and said it was one of the worst run businesses on the ASX and its parts were worth more than the whole and it would be the perfect M&A, someone to come and take it over and break it up. So Ryan Stokes at seven basically followed that advice. But if, and that's probably what they'll do, but you yeah, don't they, think they it will return any more to shareholders. Because they're never going to do it. Right. But it won't, hanging around and hanging on to the coattails of that process won't pay off for you? I don't think so. Um, history with Stokes Management, they're pretty smart. They, they've built a position that it's going to be hard to throw out. So they don't need to rush it. They don't need to pay up for it. Right. They can gradually buy it up and sit on that price and take it over. So I don't think they're going to have control over management because of their holding anyway. They're going to have board members and so forth. So in theory, it'll become a satellite play for them, even if they don't take it over. So I don't see a rush or any kind of right. premium that they're willing to pay. I think it'll be a slow death. So as an investor, I just don't think you're going to get the big kicker. So why bother? Yep. What do you reckon, Ben? Yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. I, I, I guess just if we just put aside the the, the, the corporate interest that's happening at the moment, I, I, Boral has been a very poor performing business, but it, yep. it's just a very cyclical business. You know, it's not necessarily, it's made some bad decisions um, along the way trying to buy growth. Um, you know, there's been this constant stream of acquisitions and then divestments when they realise they haven't been that great an idea. Um, ultimately, it rides the ups and the downs of the building and construction market um, and, and um, infrastructure to a lesser extent. And we know it's cyclical and, um, you know, they're, they're plasterboard and things like that. Boral is a business, as we've say, CSR um, and, and some others which are highly cyclical where, this is a company that you get interested in when the cycle is terrible and everyone has right. given up on it and because you know that at some stage the cycle will recover and these guys get almost an immediate pickup. But you get wary of it when you drive around, well, you can't really drive around Sydney at the moment, but if you, a few weeks ago, you know, there's, there's a bingo skip bin outside every 10th house. They're all being renovated. There's yeah. huge housing construction happening because of COVID and cheap interest rates which has created this boom of demand for their product here. Um, that's when you get wary of these businesses, not when you get excited. And then I, I think if you look at the corporate side of it, Kerry Stokes is the master of getting these stakes in businesses without paying a premium to, share, to the shareholders. He's done it numerous times. It's been great for him. You can't criticize him for it, but you've got to be aware of it. And um, I've, I would also say you've got to be aware he hasn't been a great he hasn't looked after minority shareholders in other companies that he controls particularly well. And, um, you know, we saw that with Seven West over many years, um, Beach Petroleum, and there's been a couple of others. So great businessman, but he's ultimately looking after himself um, and he's not there for the others. So I wouldn't want to be in a minority controlled business right. um, alongside Stokes. So, and I think so you'll would just you switch find into Seven Group? That's been great for shareholders. 
Seven Group has been great. And and so that's his main investment vehicle where the profits of all these things are funneled up. Um, so if if you truly want to invest alongside Kerry Stokes, that SVW, not SWM, but SVW is the spot that you want to be. Um, and SWM, actually, Seven West, you probably quite across this, I'm sure, Koshi, you know, they had a very good upgrade a few days ago. They're, they're riding a nice cycle. We've got the Olympics coming. They're probably going to do quite well. But SVW is where all of this stuff gets funneled up to. And that's where you probably want to sit um, even if you do like Boral in, in the SVW structure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting play. All right. Um, so if you're in Boral, take the money and run at the moment. All right. Um, so, just to recap the first five stocks and our, um, one stock that could change your life, Paradigm and Blue Chip from uh, Ben and Mathan. Uh, Macquarie Telecom, look, great business. Uh, price incredibly high, fully priced at the moment. One of those stocks on a pullback that you'd get involved in if you hold it, stick with it. Uh, Netlinks, a no. Toro Energy, a no or sell, get out of it. Uh, Clean Space, a sell from both. And Boral, a sell from both as well. Uh, here on the call, uh, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into it. If it comes up again, even in front of a, a different panel of experts and doesn't get unanimous approval, it comes out. Let's take a look at how we're performing over the week up one and a half percent, the month one to quarter uh, since the 1st of July last year, up just over 37 uh, percent. Some of the stocks recently added, Strike Resources, as I mentioned, Venturix Resources, Galaxy, Flight Centre and Micro X. Some of the uh, stocks recently removed. McMahon, Bigger Cheese and Universal Store. If you want to check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, joining us later to uh, here on Osbiz to go over the jobs data that is coming out, uh, Bjorn Jarvis from the ABS with Westpac economist Justin Smirk. That's right after the call here at 1 p.m. So analysing those labour force figures that have come out a bit earlier. All right, let's uh, get into the uh, second half of the call, our sixth stock. And Ben uh, Zip is on the agenda. Uh, had a, a big fall yesterday after PayPal introduced their Buy Now, Pay Later scheme. And also Apple in the United States came out and said, hey, that sounds a good idea. We'll introduce a similar buy now, pay later on our products as well, which we will run. So um, it's, it's been, been over the time of, as we watch these buy now, pay laters move up, one of the big criticism from uh, all the experts on the call is the moat around the existing players. Can they defend it? What's to stop someone else coming in? Well, PayPal and Apple are adding to that list. Yeah, I, there's two ways of looking at it. Like, uh, you know, we, we hold Afterpay. And um, so I've watched um, the two founders there present a lot over the years. And they've continued to make the point that as, um, you know, Visa and, you know, MasterCard and PayPal and, and, and now others continue to, it's, it's almost legitimising it as a form of payment. And... Um, you know, that they actually see it as a positive. Um, 
because they, I, I'm talking about Afterpay here, you know, well ahead of, of where these other players here. And you'd have to say that the the new players that have come in really haven't had a lot of traction in getting um, in getting the BNPL up and running. The moat for Afterpay is um, what they can push back uh, to the various shops, etc., the, the merchants that offer this product to their customers. That That's their argument, is that we can provide huge customer acquisition, leads, and I think they're only really at a starting point in terms of where they, they, they see it as like a cycle of, um, of returns going out. So that's where they see their moat. And I, I think Zip, in, in its earlier years in Australia, was all, it almost was there, I think, when you spoke to merchants, they wanted to keep Afterpay honest. You know, they, 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 they felt that Afterpay could gouge on fees. Um, they wanted a, a legitimate second player. But to Zip's credit, QuadPay, which is the American uh, business yep. that they acquired, yep. is shooting the lights out over in the US. Um, I, I've got to say, when you see these sell-offs on the back of a new entrant going in, every time it's been a great buying opportunity. Um, I think Zip is well run. Um, I, I prefer Afterpay. I think it is a better option of the two. But I'm still going to go a buy on Zip at this price because we also, you know, I mean, the M&A stuff going on in the Australian market at the moment is just unbelievable. Um, and, you know, the Finn put out a story a few days ago saying that Klarna um, has gone on to Zip's register and sneaking under the 5% level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there might be some corporate activity there, but I, I, they, I think they're, Zip's a buy. They're the Dutch one, aren't they, Joe Vigil yeah. with Combank? That's right. And so the, if you look at the rankings globally, Afterpay is, you know, well ahead. Um, and then you've got Klarna is the second largest player. Klarna's made absolutely no headway in this country. And then there's a firm, which is a New York Stock Exchange listed BNPL business. Right. Okay. Um, Nathan, what do you think of Zip? Yeah, look, uh, you know, if you like buy now, pay later, uh, I actually think Zip's probably the better one. Um, if you look at what's, what they've done, um, their, I suppose the quality control play in it, I prefer them. Um, look, at the end of the day, Ben's right. This is all about data analytics. It's about getting uh, more people on your database and being able to use that and give back to the players. Now, I think it, there is a distinct difference when you've got the guys with the pipeline like PayPal and Apple get into it. Um, it does create a lot more credible competition. Uh, and you're right, David, when you said um, the moat is very little, it is. Um, and But then the advantage is um, first move ad, uh, gets a huge step up. And that's happened to a few players. Now, the reality is, if this was a normal economy, uh, most of these stocks would have been smashed by regulation on day one. But we're not. Central banks are in a situation where they're trying to pump people with more credit than they can find. So they're not going to regulate a lot of these things. Uh, they basically allow anyone with a fancy eHarmony uh, tech to put out credit. They are letting anyone and everyone run away with credit to get people to buy and keep the economy going. So that's the initial advantage that a lot of the buy now, pay later sector got. What they've made with that is, as with most techs, is that they've gone and become too big to be taken out of the industry. So now they've become a part of the retail experience. Now it's getting harder. So now everyone's realized, oh, well, this is gonna hang around a lot longer than I thought. And so the bigger players are now jumping in. 
it is going to be harder and I think margins will get squeezed. Uh, so in that context, I think valuations will probably struggle. Again, most of these guys are not going to make money for a long time. It's all about customer acquisition. Now, this is where the market is interesting. If you think the you know, if you think the market valuations around here will hold, then I think the buy now pay later holds. Um, am I running out to buy it? No. Am I, I'm not, am I running out to buy tech stocks? No. So that's my view on the macro. But yep. if you think the market multiples stay elevated at these high levels, then they're going to hold up okay. So if you're a holder, I wouldn't be jumping out. But if you think the market multiples are going to come back to some normalization over the next six to 12 months, well, then I'd be worried because most of these are trading at pretty high multiples with pretty high expectations over the next couple of years. Okay. All right. So we'll put you down as a hold and a buy from Ben, but um, he prefers afterpay in this market. Uh, our next stock uh, on the agenda today is pre uh, Premium, the, uh, uh, the investment funds management platform, $18.5 billion um, under, under management. They've just done a strategic review, which they've announced. Um, of the of the business and they're going to uh, offload the international part of the business. They say they've got interested buyers for it. Seen a, a bit of a pop in the share price over the last couple of days, Nathan. Yeah, look, this is the sector that when originally, uh, I mean, look, the top two players uh, on the numbers are Hub and Netwell. Um, and, you know, all of the guys in that sector, when they first started to run, it was a boring backroom staff. Nobody thought there was going to be a lot there. And they gradually, the guys who were in the industry knew that the value of these platforms, there's a lot of people have made a lot of money in these platforms. So yep. in that context, it's one of those, um, I suppose, diamonds in the rough. And as the market understood the sector more, all of those stocks have done well. Uh, basically, it's your play of getting more and more fun under play and they click the ticket. It's a great, good defensive play. The only problem I got with that sector is as with anything, um, you grow, you grow, you grow, you get to a point where there's then competition. There's some lazy players who've been there making money, started to lose market share, and they're all responding. So you've got this uh, market that's probably getting to that point where uh, there's going to be margin pressure put as people start to compete. And will the multiples, these high multiples, can be sustained? I'm not so sure. Um, but what's happened in that sector as well is there's obviously, when you get to that kind of a stage in the cycle, you get consolidation in the industry. And that's the other part of that cycle that's playing out. So look, if you've been there, you've done well, um, I wouldn't sell out simply because look, it's in an upgrade cycle, there's farm flows are good, um, and there's a potential for consolidation in the industry that could play out. So I'll be holding. Um, to go into that sector right now, I think the expectations are pretty high. The sectors, you know, everyone knows about it over the last two, three years. So I think everyone's there. I don't see the margin of buyer coming in and jumping into it. So um, I'm not buying into it, but if you're holding it, I'm happy to hold it. Okay. Ben? Yeah, I think I'm probably a hold as well, Kosh. You may be a little bit more optimistic on it. I, you know, I think these um, these platforms, they're highly scalable. And to me, premium's sort of like, it's been the third, the, the poor cousin to net wealth and hub. Um, we know that there's huge industry structural change occurring. Um, a lot of groups are moving away from your AMPs, IOOFs, and the banks platforms, and even um, so, the the big the, the independence, the, the the platforms that can support independence as the entire industry goes independent, uh, have been big winners. And I do think that Premium's probably had 
the market sort of felt that they wouldn't get to that crucial tipping point that these um, that these platforms really need to get to in terms of scale. Um, that you know, it sounds like they've had good interest in this UK business, and that will potentially mean you know that more concentrated focus on Australia, um, a lot more cash potentially to push into the um, into the platform to build out that scale. But you you know the flows are strong. Um, you know, there's no doubt that many businesses are backing this platform and. Clients are the, the businesses are very sticky. You know the the decision to leave a platform and go to another and and to move all of your clients from one to another is not an easy one. And to, you know I think the recurring sort of revenues that these businesses attract are, are very high quality. So I, I, I'm I'm a whole, but you know on a on a bit of a dip, I I probably look at it as a buy. Oh, okay, all right. It's um, put your boat down as a hold. Uh, it's in the calls portfolio, so it now comes out, but uh, the portfolio has ridden it up pretty well, so uh, taking some profits there. All right, our uh, next stock to take a look at, Ben Andromeda Metals, uh, an exploration company. As Nathan said, um, if you haven't raised any money recently, you've got rocks in your head because the market has been so hot, it has raised money. Um, so it's stuck with an exploration company based in uh, based in South Australia. Their their great hope is the Great White uh, Kaolin project, um, which has um, just completed some feasibility. What do you reckon of Andromeda Metals? Yeah, this this is a tricky one, Koshi. Um, okay, so these guys have a potential haliocyte kaolin producer, um, which I, to be honest, never even heard of. I think it's a a special type of clay that that occurs very rarely, but has um, numerous uses across a lot of everyday kind of products. So that you know, I guess it sounds interesting. It's certainly at the more exotic end of the um, of the commodity spectrum. Um, there's been a lot of excitement about an offtake agreement that they sign with a Chinese commodity house. I'd always be really wary of that. That is not a reason to get super bullish on a junior explorer. Chinese commodity houses, they, they sign offtake agreements left, right and centre. There's not a lot of binding nature to them. If they if push comes to shove, they just, you know, they, they, they can choose not to take it. So I guess it's a bit of a sign of confidence in the company, but I wouldn't say it warrants a big increase in the size of the company. Um, they've done a PFS, so that's the pre-feasibility study, but they're still not even at a DFS. So they... The, the PFS numbers look great, but they often always do. Um, and again, can create excitement and give companies ability to raise equity capital. Um, they're still a very long way from building out this mine if they're not at a DFS stage yet. And I just look at sort of where they're up to and a $300 million market cap. To me, it's a no. I'm going sell. Okay. And Nathan? You're a cynic there, Ben. Uh, look, Ben's right. Uh, this, this is, um, you have to look at where the cycle is um, and you have to be playing the size for that. Um, you want to be there when commodity cycles start off uh, for the explorers because you, you're just getting the sugar rush. Everyone's desperate. Everyone wants to buy something and all you want is someone to punch a hole into the ground and you go, yep, we're going out 10 times. And that's, that's where you want to be in the explorers. We've had a pretty good run for more than 12 months. Uh, commodity prices at the moment, uh, you know, a lot of the base ones are pretty high. 
Um, there's inflation worries. There's governments trying to suppress uh, commodity prices. You're getting, you know, and there's a rush to um, raise capital quickly before the market loses interest. You kind of see all of these things kind of tells you everyone's calling a super cycle in commodities. That's always a bad sign. Whenever, you know, it's, it's like the $200,000 truck driver in Western Australia. Whenever you get these kind of things, that's when you go, oh, maybe we're near the top. Um, I think in the shorter term, there's a lot of uh, optimism in the commodity cycle. Everyone's in mining. Um, everyone's trying to pick the next uh, guy who's going to punch a hole. So you've got to be careful. Um, and again, I think if you're when you're in that kind of cycle, I want to be in guys who are producing because high commodity prices only helps the guy who's producing because he's going to make money. Mm. The guy who's exploring won't be producing for years to come. So in a yeah. high commodity price, That's a really actually, good point. Yeah, because so, the cycle may have changed by the time they start producing anything. Exactly. Yeah. Trust me, over the years, I've burnt a lot of money trying to punt on explorers and the commodity yeah. cycle before they actually deliver anything. So you've got to be careful on that cycle. So when you've had a cycle for more than a year, you want to be in producers to take advantage. The, the classic example is right now, picking up most commodity stocks, miners, we're producing miners into the results season is actually relatively low risk. Because you know commodity prices are high, you know analysts are delayed in upgrading. So every analyst over the next month is going to upgrade into the results season. So they'll do okay. But the reality is the share price have already run because everyone knows that they're going to do that. So uh, the upside in a lot of the mining stocks are already priced in. You know the things to look at is you, you've got a U.S. dollar that looks like it's going to bounce. Most commodity stocks tend to struggle in that environment. So an explorer is not one you want to be. So yep. I'm staying out of mining stocks in the short term. Okay. All right. Um, our next stock is uh, Mathan Downer EDI, the, uh, the services business uh, in infrastructure. Um, a lot of people have, uh, they've made a, money, a lot of money out of the MBN and helping to build that. And that's been um, a bit of a, a down, I was going to say downer of them, but uh, a bit of a negative <laughs> recently um, with a lot of people saying, can they win any other MBN contracts. Well, they announced yesterday uh, they're into two more. Yeah, look, these things, you, you just got to be careful in this kind of business. It looks great. And then you get hammered one day on some stupid contract. Um, you know, I've been mentally scarred by Downer. I've, I've told you this before. Uh, back in the day when they were doing water trains, I bought the stock. Um, I was working in the US. And I went there, came back, looked at the price. It was half the price. And I went, what? Uh, and they stuffed up the train for contract and it got slaughtered. Um, so these kind of things, when they're playing on a lot of contracts, most some of those contracts are very low margin. When they go wrong, you get slaughtered. So you've got to be careful. Oh, look, Downer is a lot better business now than what it used to be. Um, and the macro is relatively positive, but the market knows that. You know, it, it's, it's almost like trying to bet on aged care. Uh, everyone knows the thematic. So everyone knows the only thing the government's got is infrastructure and building and everyone's priced that in. It's had a pretty decent recovery. Uh, I just don't get excited by it. I mean, you look at Lend-Lease and Simic, the big boys who could, should be doing much better on these building side of things and they keep blowing stuff up. As I always say, they always find dead bodies uh, every six months. Um, so in that context, I'm a bit careful. I want the discount to go into these kind of services. Mining services, part of it, I just don't, I can't get excited because the capex outlook is really weak. You would think that the miners are doing so well, it should be doing better, but the miners are not uh, growing their capex at the moment. So the macro is still weak for me, 
and I'm just not getting the discount to take the risk in this okay. sector because you can get beaten up. Okay, Ben? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go a hold. I agree with a lot of Nathan's comments there um, that Downer and many of the other Australian engineering and contracting businesses do have a track record and it's very hard to forecast where well, they'll suddenly come out and say there's been a cost blowout uh, on a project and you know almost the entire year's profits are going to be wiped out. I would say um, I think Downer are getting the message. They um, I actually haven't looked at this business for a while, but they're in the process of selling off um, some of the more capital-intensive parts of the business and becoming trying to become more capital light, more services focused. They're trading on 13 times, so potentially that could command a, a, a better PE rating. Um, you might see some sort of expansion of the PE if they are successful doing that. The recent quarterly was strong. Um, the, the risk I would highlight um, is that, um, you know, anyone that's um, tried to get hold of, um, you know, sort of plum tradies or, uh, at the moment would know they're in seriously short supply, prices are rising, and that is quite a big input cost for downer. Yeah. Like they need to be able to try and pass that increase in price through to their customers and maintain their margins. Um, and this is the thing that can catch these businesses out. Um, you know, we've seen some of the contracting businesses in WA that are more mining focused have really sort of highlighted, um, you know, the costs of getting truck drivers, et cetera. Look at Costa Group. You know, they, they, were, they had a downgrade recently because they said that, that, that they were struggling to get fruit pickers and the cost of fruit pickers have gone up quite significantly. Yep. This COVID sort of knock-on effect has meant... Um, you know, that we've seen this surge in demand, but we're not getting the labour that can meet it. So that's going to be a problem that Downer are going to have to um, to balance okay. in the next year. All right. So hold on, Downer. And our final stock, just quickly, we'll need to whip through this a bit, uh, Ben and Nathan. Uh, yeah. Ben, uh, Redbubble is the final one, the online platform, that, uh, platform business that allows artists to... Um, sort of monetize all of their work and sell T-shirts yep. and mugs and the whole lot. Uh, Founder-led yep. international business. I think this one looks quite good, Koshi. Um, um, it you know that one thing I'd say is when you get growth stocks that come out and say we're going to invest more aggressively into ourselves, they always get smashed on the back of that because the market's so short-term focused, it, it it's going to miss that profit. It's often a time to look at businesses like this. We've seen it with Seek, um, um, CSL, Cochlear, mm. and numerous others like WiseTech over the years. Um, it's trading on 39 times earnings, which isn't expensive in this space. I think it really does have traction, particularly in the US. Um, it's, I think it's seen as a bit of a COVID winner as well by the market. You know, coming out of COVID, the market, people were chasing the things that they're reopening sort of trade. So I reckon this one actually looks quite interesting at this point. I'll say a buy. Okay, Nathan? Oh, look, I'll start by saying maybe the bubble burst. Um, and in the context that it is a COVID play, I think the market is basically trading like a COVID play. But Ben's right. I, I was actually, I thought, just like the market, I thought, ah, oh, this is just a COVID play. When it, uh, you know, when the COVID comes off, this thing is going to get smashed. Uh, but in reality, they've actually grown it a lot better than I thought. And I think the model is a lot better than what I gave credit for. So I would be looking at it. I'm not chasing it now. I think the multiples are still too high. And I think the normalization will see this come back. But 
it is one where I think the model is a lot better than what I gave credit for. So I'll be keeping an eye on it because I think that over the next couple of quarters, I want to see how the numbers play out and if they can stabilize into, and if they've down a downgrade. So in that context, uh, it does worry me. Uh, so I'm going to watch the numbers, it, uh, but it is one that I'm interested in. I think it's a lot better model than what most people okay. give credit for. All right, so you put a hold on it and wait and see. Okay. All right, uh, Maitland Thomas and Darren, great to see you, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, ben, we'll let you get back to uh, online learning with the uh, with the kids. And all we can say is good luck with that. I'll need it. Thank you. <laughs> good idea. All right, fellas, thank you for that. Just to recap, that final five stock zip, a yes from Ben, a hold from Maitland, although Ben prefers after pay and the buy now, pay later. Uh, basis premium. Uh, a hold from both of them was in the calls portfolio because it didn't get two thumbs up from them it now comes out so uh, the portfolio um, calls portfolio will take a profit on it but it's done pretty well we followed it up uh, Adromeda metals a sell from Ben and the same from Mathan down a EDI a hold from Ben and O from Mathan and Redbubble a yes a buy from uh, Ben and a hold from Mathan uh, that's our show for today. If you've got any stocks you'd like us to give an opinion on, put them in an email, thecallatodsbiz.com.au or tweet us at oddsbiztv. Uh, a reminder, all the stocks in the calls portfolio are at oddsbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want a full sum up of what's happening in the day on the markets, business, finance, startups, subscribe to the newsletter. You get Scuddy's view. You get a link to the Close of Business podcast and also the most popular interviews on the Ausbiz platform during the day. Uh, subscribe ausbiz.co forward slash the COB. And um, also uh, coming up a full analysis of those labour force p- figures. Uh, an expert panel will take you through the implications for the economy and also the markets right after this. Don't go away. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.